0: All right, everyone. Well, welcome, welcome, welcome. It's good. Uh, it's good to be with you somehow. I wish I could see you, um, <laughs> but uh, you know it's okay. Message me, uh, Zoom. You know, there's lots of those things. We're ra- wrapping up a um, a series on the seven churches, the letters to the seven churches that we find in Revelation. And today we will be covering uh, Laodicea. Uh, if you'd open up your Bibles to Revelation chapter three, or just look at the screen. I'm sure it'll pop up. Uh, Revelation chapter three, verses fourteen to twenty-two. To the church in Laodicea, uh, to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write these are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds; that you are neither hot, uh, neither cold, nor hot. I wish that you were one or the other. So because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold. I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I'm rich. I've acquired wealth. You do not need a thing. I and you do and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much uh, for this challenging uh, message today for these uh, previous messages. God, I pray that you will transform TLC, that you will transform all of us in the midst of a, a trying time. God, will you help us to assess our hearts and will you change our desires to want more of you in Jesus name? Amen. The Church of Laodicea. Uh, Wow, what a church. Let me give you a little context uh, of this city uh, before we get into the words of Jesus. This city was the wealthiest of all seven of these churches. It was by far the wealthiest, and what brought them a lot of wealth and fame was uh, three things specifically. One, they were known for their textiles, uh, specifically their manufacturing of black cotton. Yes, they had sheep, uh, black sheep. Okay, they were the black sheep. (laughs) And uh, it was very rare to find colored cotton that wasn't dyed, right? Uh, That's a whole nother process, but they would shear these sheep, manufacture it into a shirt or a tunic, and would sell to people from all over the East and the West. Um, But they were very well known for that. They would have had the tags that said on on the back of their shirt, Made in Laodicea, right? And uh, so people came from all over uh, for that. They would trade to all over the, the, the known world, these black Laodicean tunics. So that made them a lot of money in the fashion industry. They also were known for their medical industry. They had a, one of the top universities, medical universities. If you went to Laodicea uh, to, to train, you were known as, wow, they were a really good doctor. Okay, so they were very academic and astute medically and people again would come from all over the place to come to Laodicea to, to get the newest, latest and greatest uh, medicine and, and uh, medical help. And finally, they were known for their banking industry. Now Laodicea was a planned community. right? It was a very planned community uh, in, in, within the system. Uh, it was along a postal route that the Romans had built this road that leads to the different ports in, in Asia Minor. And this one kind of laid at the middle. It was in a valley between uh, the, the two nearest towns, Hieropolis and Ephesus, both very important to the government and to uh, the whole economy of Rome. So this, this sat in the middle. So because of the trade roads, uh, people had a lot of access to this place, and so they became really big with banking. Okay, they became big with banking. They could store people's money to, They can send money very easily. And they were so wealthy and well off off of these three and especially with banking, they were so good with their money that when an earthquake came and toppled over Laodicea, okay, we have a historical record showing that they actually declined any government financial assistance to rebuild their city. Yes, they spent all of the money themselves and they were self-sufficient, self-contained. When Rome came down and assessed everything and said, you know what, we're going to open up the banks and write some checks for you to rebuild the city. The people said, no, thanks. We got it. We got enough money in the bank. No, thank you. We could do it ourselves. That's pretty darn wealthy because I don't know if any of us, even with money in the bank, would say no to free money, but they went ahead and did it. So a lot of pride in their banking industry and their in their uh, in their manufacturing uh, and fashion, and in their medicine, they were all around a self-sufficient, self-contained, self-reliant, independent city. And these, and there was a church there, right? Now look at what Jesus has to say to this church in verse fourteen, to the angel of the church in Laodicea. Right? These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. I didn't hear anything nice in there. <laughs> this is actually one of the most scathing uh, messages that Jesus gives uh, to uh, within all the churches. In two of them, there was nothing really bad that was said. There were maybe, hey, watch out in one of them there was uh of course you know something that was like hey this is this is only bad stuff this one there is not one ounce of good (laughs) of good deeds that that this church is doing they have become so dependent upon themselves that they've actually walked away almost completely from their need in jesus and we'll see what i mean here in just a minute let's start with what jesus says about himself in his introduction just like in the other letters to the other churches he identifies himself in a few ways he says these are the words of the amen this brings up a interesting talk what does amen mean you say it all the time right mm, amen not sure what you're saying do you christian <laughs> you've been saying it for years it's actually pronounced something more like Amin. right Amin. amen right even jesus would say it at the beginning of some things like Amin. Amin. what does amen mean or amen what does that mean Basically, it is an affirmation of something that is true. Okay, amen is affirming something that is true. It would even be written sometimes at the very end of a letter. Uh, Obviously, we have them in some of our epistles as well, uh, where it says, hey, this affirms everything that has been said is true. This is the seal of of all objective truth within the statements that I am making. So Jesus places this above everything else, that I am the true thing. This is the only real true thing, okay? Not just what I'm saying, he himself, he says, I am the word. These are the words of the what? Amin. Hear now real truth. He was about to wake them up with some bombshells, which you'll see in a few moments. The faithful and true witness kind of goes hand in hand. That word witness is also martyr you might have heard martyr martyr does mean witness somebody who would testify to something that is true that they have literally seen or experienced that is the word martus in greek and then later became kind of synonymous with somebody who dies uh, for a cause that they either believe in or have gone through or what what have you so i am the these are the words of the amin the faithful and true witness and the ruler of god's creation whoa (laughs) Wow, that's a pretty big claim. Is Jesus indeed is, uh, as Colossians puts it, firstborn over all creation? There are, uh, uh, I don't even want to say a sect, it's a cult like the Jehovah's Witnesses who will say in Colossians, well, see, he says that he's firstborn, meaning that he was created. No, 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 no. Within the context of Jewish culture, that means that you are entitled if you are the firstborn or you have the right to all things that your father has right? So Jesus uh, claiming, and if you were to read on to the very next verse that the Jehovah's Witnesses love, the very next verse actually claims that by him and through him and for him all things were created. So that's kind of a claim to divinity. Anyway, interesting side notes, but what Jesus is basically saying here is, hey church, I want you to wake up because this is true reality. This is real truth. You've gotten everything else diluted in this sort of fantasy world, but I want to tell you what is actually true. legitimate and this is coming from one who owns all things who is in charge of all things you think you have so much money you think you have so much knowledge you think you have so much uh, uh, academia you think you have all of these great things but I actually hold everything in my hand and I am the real truth look at what Jesus goes on to say verse 15 I know your deeds you are neither cold nor hot I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth." Now, what is he talking about? You're neither cold nor hot, like you have to be like cold-shouldered or something, or you have to be hot, you know? No, 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 no. See, Laodicea uh, being a planned community was kind of between two or three big cities, as I said. They had one weakness to them. They didn't have fresh water. <laughs> kind of seems like a big one, right? They were in a valley. They were not located near any large body of water, which typically you would wanna plan a city near so that you have access to clean water and uh, to wash your clothes, use the bathroom, brush your teeth, drink, etc. Hopefully not all in the same same stream, right? Or at least be as upstream as possible (laughs) if you're gonna drink. No, they didn't have any water source. So what they did, the authorities did, was they built giant aqueducts, okay? We, we have found large aqueducts underground. I didn't find them, just making that clear. Okay, <laughs> other people found these things. They built large aqueducts back in the day and they would carry in or pipe in water from Ephesus or Hierapolis, um, both places having either hot or cold water and it would be, it would be funneled in to Laodicea. It's a good plan in theory. You know, I, I can't, I don't have any water, let me get a long straw, just take it from my neighbor. The problem though was this that over the course of six or seven miles what do you think would happen to refreshing cool water or nice bubbly hot water from a hot spring? It gets warm. Imagine ordering a Vietnamese coffee whether it's iced or hot and then letting it sit there for several hours okay and then you go to take a drink. It's it's sweet (laughs) but it it's just not the same. It's not refreshing. It's not exhilarating. There's nothing that exciting about it, right? On top of that, uh, as it traveled through the aqueducts, it would, uh, it would start to get some of the, um, the calcium and other deposits that were within the pottery of that, that the aqueducts were made of, and it would just be a very unfavorable taste. So their water was warm and nasty. That is what Jesus is referring to. And he makes a comparison to this church, this one who holds reality, who actually knows all things, who is faithful and true, says to this rather unfaithful church, guys, (laughs) you're not, you're not hot and healing. You're not cold and refreshing. You're neither. You are nothing. It's just like the water you drink. It tastes like absolutely nothing. It's not taking a stand for anything. It's just very passive. And so because of that, it makes me want to literally vomit you out. That's a pretty scathing thing to think about. Jesus doesn't give them any, but, you know, nonetheless, you don't seem to enjoy reveling in this and I applaud you for that. He doesn't say any of that. He just says, I want to spit you out. Verse 17 goes on to kind of examine what they were saying. This this would have woken them up right away. Like, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. That water is nasty. It is the one thing that we don't have. But what does he go on to say? You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and I do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked. Real quick, what is wretched? You might hear that a lot from, especially like reformed preachers, fire brimstone guys. You wretched sinner, right? Wretched means that you're in a state to be pitied, basically, okay? It's pitiful, actually. It's ridiculous, the the condition that you're in. So this church had bought into this culture that was around it. That said, you know what? Everything is well. We are well off. We have plenty of money and security. People want to come from all over the place to buy from us. We have very fine clothing. It's very comfortable and nice. We have a medical industry. We have security in that way. Nobody, even if you're sick, it's okay. We have the finest this, we have the best that. But it was actually indeed a spiritual danger because they had closed their eyes. To the real reality of what was going on inside of their heart they had closed their minds to jesus and the utter the word that comes to my mind which i will press the rest of this sermon as much as possible is dependence their dependence was not on god at all they would honor god with their name sure they'd say yeah you know whatever christian you know yeah that's good yeah jesus you know there's lots of other gods out there too but really what it came down to was their dependence and their dependence was not On Jesus at all. And this is the one of the scariest things especially for those uh, who have attained some sort of degree, who have attained some sort of financial success, who have uh, enjoyed some sort of comfort or security. This is the big uh, threat or danger to us. As Christians is that we simply sit back and say you know what I think this is God's blessing and everything's good I don't need a thing I'm good thanks you see Jesus is saying you may say that you have so much money that you're so well off and so so uh, wealthy but spiritually you're bankrupt you don't have a cent because you have not invested anything in me you are poor you are wretched. You are pitiful. You're blind. Now, one of the things that uh, the medical industry there in Laodicea was really known for, what what gave them a lot of acclaim, was this eye salve. This stuff that they would put on their eyes, uh, and they would sell it to other uh, people who'd come down with any eye problems. Uh, they would. It was a, a sort of ointment that they would rub onto their eyes, and you know, I'm not sure if it was like. Dr. Evans amazing tonic. Okay. (laughs) Or if it was legit, but either way, uh, people were claiming that, you know, uh, their vision was improved, but Jesus strikes to the heart of that and says, yeah, you're dependent on your medical industry and all of that. You're blind. You're completely blind. You have no idea what life is really about. And, and your lack of, of care and love, your lack of commitment to me, your utter dependence on me is not there at all. You need me. You're naked. What is he hitting there? That, that textile industry of, of manufacturing. What? Clothes. You've built this big empire on all of these things. You put all of your dependence on your wealth and security and comfort and on your clothes and fashion. But actually you're not wearing a dang thing in front of me. Nakedness was a, um, a symbol of shame actually in that culture go back to Genesis we see Adam and Eve they were naked in the garden they didn't notice they, they weren't ashamed and then what happened ooh they sinned and they realized what oh my gosh I'm exposed there's something shameful about that you still feel it today all right try going outside naked right now don't don't do it okay don't do it see but the very thought of it right I'm just gonna go down to the store without clothes and see what happens right you'd be arrested okay it's that bad of shame (laughs) but in the same way Jesus is saying before me you're naked I see all things let me give you an illustration of what this looks like okay I know a couple uh they're not in a very good marriage they don't know it okay he went after hot girl she went after money he was in med school he they got married after he became a doctor he now makes a half a million dollars a year Okay, they have all the fancy cars, they live in multi-million dollar house but their marriage is not happy. Okay, did they undergo a life change? No. They underwent a lifestyle change and the allure of money and forgive me for those who do have money or are in the medical field or fashion or whatever. I'm not slamming and saying that those things are bad things. But if you think that that will change your life, it most certainly will not. It will change your lifestyle. Okay. They upgraded a lot of things. They, have, they are living the quote unquote good life of this age. But truly, their character has not changed. Truly, their marriage has not changed. And now they're thinking, OK, well, what's going to make me happy? And they keep going after more and more different things. Let's change our friend circle. Let's let's have children, because for some reason, if you have children, you're fulfilled. But now there's even more problems, OK? And now there's more to worry about, and they're just switching from idle to idle to idle. And as we watch this, on the outside, you're thinking, well, gee, they must have it well. They're wearing the nicest clothes. They, They have the nicest cars. They have the nicest stuff. But stuff and lifestyle does not equate to a life change. Only God can transform those things. There is no sense of peace. Sure, there's a, lot of, uh, there's a lot of dopamine every time you click something on, on Amazon and you get a new pair of shoes or that new, uh, today I saw a, uh, a Louis Vuitton fanny pack. I almost vomited. <laughs> that won't bring life change. And I'm not against stuff. I'm not against um, all of these things. But truly what Jesus is saying is that those things won't bring a real change that I want to bring. And what this church was doing was placing their utter dependence on their smarts, on their degree. Okay, how many of you, and I'm not, again, not bashing, if you have a medical degree or if you want to go after a, a, your JD, your MD, your MDiv, your MFT, whatever other initials uh, that you could put behind your name, if you're going after those things for some sort of sense of validation or so that you could be on top or so that your parents will be proud of you, I promise you it will not... It it will you will be happy and accomplished because you're done with your course of study okay and that is something to be proud of and we celebrate that but it will not bring a true change to your life you will not accomplish that sense of peace that you are setting out to find Jesus is saying this is a false idol you are building your life on something that is not me those things will actually blind you perhaps okay There is no sense of dependence upon God in this church that we see. I counsel you to buy from me, verse 18, gold refined in the fire. Okay, so Jesus isn't just ripping apart this church. He's not just saying he is ripping it apart, but he's not not ripping it apart and leaving it to shreds to die. Okay, Jesus still has a heart. I want us to see this in this next passage. Okay, Jesus... Is, is now like picture him on his knees, like pumping the chest, like come back to life because these things are utterly destroying you. You think because you have all these things, because you have some sort of degree, that you have some sort of title, that everything will be nice now, that everything will be okay. Can I share with you something uh, that I've been thinking about this past week or two? There are lots of things now. I think it's almost like a catchphrase of like, when the pandemic is over, I can't wait to blank, right? It's kind of like when I win the lottery, okay, the pandemic will end eventually. But I'm hearing lots of people saying, well, when the pandemic is over, then we will do what? And in the church, a lot of times it's when the pandemic is over, then we will have good fellowship again. When the pandemic is over, I can't wait to talk more with my neighbors. When the pandemic is over, I can't wait for whatever it is that you're waiting for. Can I say this? Whatever you are not doing now, you will still not do when the pandemic is over. Whatever you are not doing right now, you're not going to do when it's over. This is a crazy thought but it's very easy for us to say to make excuses about following Jesus because your dependence is not really on him. It's easy for us to just make an excuse and say no you know what it's not a good time for that. It's a, there's a pandemic going on but you know we'll dream about it one day but you won't actually follow after Jesus and take a risk and I'm not saying go out and you know get a bunch of people together and breathe on each other and get sick no not at all. But at least making an effort, at least trying to hear God through the midst of all of this, God, what is it that you want me to do? Right now, if any time, we are actually, what the Bible would say is, blessed. Because right now we should be even more dependent on hearing the voice of God of how to carry out his mission. I know it's not easy. But we can't just sit back in our comfort and in our security waiting for a government check to come in to relieve us. Just chilling somewhere, waiting for the pandemic to end so that things could go back to normal. Whatever you weren't doing before, you will continue not to do. If your dependence is on other things. Maybe you're dependent on the pandemic to be over before you start following Jesus. Why don't we want to be in this state, you know? The nice thing okay the thing that's kind of weird and strange about uh being in a state of of poverty of of uh, blindness of all of these things you know in matthew 5 at the sermon of the mount things got really interesting uh when when jesus started preaching he starts with this blessed are the meek the poor the sick like all of these bad things and i remember reading through in matthew 5 as a young believer i'm like hmm mm, amen I don't know what I just read because I wouldn't want to be naked or poor or blind or meek or any of these things. But do you know what it actually means? Why Jesus is saying that? Because when you are in this state, okay, you actually are recognizing, okay, when you actually wake up to the reality that I am naked, I am poor, I am blind, I am pitiful, I need these things not to think of yourself, okay, as like this disgusting thing, okay, Jesus loves you. But when you realize the depth of your nakedness and your poverty, that is when you are blessed. Why? Because suddenly your dependence is now on something higher than yourself. Your dependence is now on something that is higher than the circumstances around you. Your dependence is upon God. And that is why Jesus says, Hey, buy from me. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined with fire so that you become, you could become rich. He's not looking for you to, to shred your clothes and be naked. No, Jesus actually wants you to have the best life possible. So he says, forget all of these things that you're after, that you think will bring you true joy, that you think will bring a flourishing ministry, that you think will bring all of these things. I invest in me, come to me. I will make you rich. I want you to have the best life. Our God is a God of life, not a God of death, not a God of sickness. He doesn't like these things at all. But yet Jesus says in Matthew 5, like, hey, if you realize that you are in this state, then you are blessed. Okay? You're the light of the world. Okay? So he says, come to me here in Revelation 3, come to me. Realize that. counsel. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by power, by fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear. Okay, unlike the black clothes that they were known for, white clothes uh, were also symbolic. It was symbolic of uh, a, a righteous judgment or a righteous person. Okay, what does righteous mean? Is it righteous, right? You, you caught a good wave. No, no, no. A righteous uh, means that you are... Uh, considered just or right or innocent of any wrongdoing. Okay? That you are considered innocent. And that you are no longer do you have any shame or guilt or any of the burdens of those kinds of things placed upon you. Jesus is saying you won't be free by by looking to comfort, by looking to convenience, by looking for degrees. Those things won't free you of of the judgment. That you feel they won't free you of guilt they won't free you of shame if anything you're going to be constantly working harder and harder putting up that face trying to be uh trying to look like hey look i got it all together look i got all my stuff here i'm good i got the perfect wife or husband i have the perfect children i'm good right there's so much anxiety that comes along with that i know plenty of people who work so hard when when there is a uh an error made hey if they mess up like wow the sense of forgiveness of judgment in the world is ridiculous and sometimes we forget about that as christians because we love and we revel in the the promises and the reality of god that in christ there is no condemnation in christ jesus like wow i'm released of all of the bad things that i've done the little mistakes that i've made Hey, but the world is still a very judgy place. You may be a very judgy person. Well, guess what? Jesus is saying, come to me, wake up. No longer do you have to play games like tit-for-tat games where it's like, oh, this person did this, so I have to get even, or oh, I I failed in some way, so I have to work hard to regain all of this. It doesn't mean that you can't hurt trust, obviously, but what Jesus is saying is, hey, come buy from me. I want to make you well. I want to make you rich, and I want to cast aside that judgment and that shame. No longer are you bound to some sort of working culture where you're trying hard to to wear the white. I will just give it to you. Trust in me for all of these things. Okay? Not your money, not your wealth, not your renown. trust in me and all these things and i hope especially for those of you uh some of my teens who are looking to go into uh i mean was the classic engineer lawyer doctor trio uh the asian parent dream right For, for those of you who are going after that and i believe that many of you probably will achieve that and that's great and i'm rooting for you and i'm praying for you but i also pray that you will be introspective in the process why are you doing it is it for financial stability what are you really dependent on is it so that you could say, I did it, I achieved the American dream? Because the American dream is more like a nightmare. It becomes isolationist. When you build your own little castle with a white picket fence so that everyone else can stay out. That's the reality of it. Invest in Jesus, place your dependence upon him, invest and put everything into him. Okay? Even in the course of study, even in your practice, whatever it is. We don't depend on those things. Those things are necessary. We do them. We want to be faithful to them. Okay, We be faithful in whatever area God calls us to. But ultimately, we surrender all of our hopes and dreams and everything over to Him. I counsel you to buy from me, verse 18. We went through that. So, as uh, so, a after the white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and put salve on your eyes so that you can see, okay? Only Jesus will give you objective reality. The rest of the world will lie to you and tell you, well, no, 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 here's, here's what you have to do. We recently were so uh, distraught over a couple that we care for a lot, we love. We gave them some advice like, I don't know if this is going to be good for your life. They went to somebody else uh, with a higher degree, okay? with a higher pay grade than my wife and I and they actually told us well we wanted to listen to them I mean they do have that degree in this field and it was worldly advice and now they are regretting it and we're not saying well see you should have listened we were just trying to give some biblical advice and some perspective to things and they ended up going with trusting what the world is saying okay they they went with google advice instead of god advice and now they're they're living with the consequences. There's a lot of pain to that. But Jesus says, I have true eye salve here. I can help your vision be clear. Isn't that something that we all want deep down? How do I live this life? How do I truly see clearly between, you know, all of the things, all of the loud voices that I'm hearing? Jesus says, I am the truth. I am the life. I am the way. I will give you perspective. To those whom I love, verse 19, I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. Okay? Jesus is not saying, look, I hate you all. you all just a bunch of blind, dirty sinners. No, he's saying this because he's saying, I, I, I love you. Okay, learn from me. He says, be earnest and repent. Earnest, what is that? He's saying, hey, listen up. Take note of this. He's basically uh, like, again, he's like trying to resuscitate the heart of this church. I love you far too much to let you walk down this path of destruction, wearing nice clothes. You could wear the nicest clothes, have the nicest degree and drive the nicest car right off a cliff. And that's where you're heading. Will you listen to me? I, wanna, I want to dress you. I want to be the one to fill your accounts. I want to be the one to help you see again. That is what Jesus is saying. Place your dependence upon me. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. If you were to close your eyes for just a minute, and if I were to ask you, what do you place most of your trust in? What are you most dependent on? And I'm not talking about the delivery guy to bring your package from your most recent click <laughs> of, uh, of uh, online re- retail. If you were to close your eyes and just ask God for a moment, God, will you reveal to me what I am most dependent on in this life? I wonder what might happen. It was a question that the Spirit put on me to to just kind of ask you guys. What is it that you place your dependence on? Because Jesus is there knocking on your heart. And he's saying, dine with me. I want to sit in relationship with you. Because I know you better than anything else. You could still wear nice clothes. You could still get the, the degree. You could still have life insurance. These are fine things. But do you place your trust fully on me? In Mark, when uh, a a a lame uh, a friend uh, a lame beggar was dropped before Jesus from the roof of the house, you might remember this. Jesus, is in the midst of preaching to everybody, and some friends removed the thatching from the, the top of the house, and they 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 drop down this friend slowly. They lower him. That's the word I'm looking for. They <laughs> throw him down there. He can't walk. He wants to be healed. And what does Jesus say? He said, "Your friend, your your sins are forgiven." People are like, what? Your sins are forgiven. Uh, Jesus, I was kinda hoping you'd make me walk again. That seems a lot more practical. <laughs> but Jesus looks beyond that and says, Yeah. And he does heal him if you read the story. And you say, All right, well, just for everybody else's sake, just so that you could see, sure, I'll let you walk. But to heal something much deeper, that's why Jesus, that's what Jesus wants for you and I and it comes through that relationship only Jesus can see deep down into you and it comes through the quietness of listening for that little knock of hearing Jesus on your heart saying this is what I want for me a big one was my future i knew that whatever decisions i made i had time i was still quite young was quite young still young, but the future was something that I knew was always mine. I can always change things. And it was one night where I heard that knock, not a literal knock okay, on the wall, but I heard it in my heart and Jesus uh, pushed across my mind the word future. And I thought, no, I'm undone. I'm done for now because Jesus says, uh, you're so dependent on what could be. Why don't you give that to me? and I'll show you what really can be. It comes through sitting with Jesus and being in full dependence of him. Now he gives this and some commentators say in verse 21 that this may have been for the entire church, uh, the capital C church, all of the churches, or it may just have been uh, unique for Laodicea. I, I'm kind of convinced that it's perhaps for all of the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on the throne, just as I was victorious. Okay, note the past tense. I was victorious. Okay, the victory is already, that means the victory is already won, right? And sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the spirit says to the churches. In these last two verses, Jesus is basically saying this. This is a great way to end this series on um, the seven churches. But in the end, Jesus says, I win. I win. I've already won. I will win in the future, what you will see. I win. If you stick with me to the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. That You know what that means for us? For those of us who put Jesus as our first love, who put uh, faithfulness behind all of our actions and intentions, for those who are completely dependent upon Jesus and obedient. Jesus says that I win, and because I win, you win. You will rule with me in the future. Do you trust that? Or are you looking to set up your own little kingdom for yourself? That's our challenge. The rest of the book of Revelation, uh, we will go through and we'll see that played out again and again through different symbols, through different uh, types of literature as well. Some poetry, some uh, prophecy. But in the end, King Jesus rules. And for those who are faithful, we get to rule with him. So church, again, I ask you, what are you dependent on? Are you out to build the kingdom of, of Christ, the kingdom of God? or to build your own kingdom? What are you truly dependent on? If it's anything but Jesus, it won't last. But if it is hand in hand with Jesus, then you're in for a life that will never disappoint. You're in for a rich life. You're in for a a life uh, that is given, where you are given the comforts of God around you, truly a, a life that is blessed. So in the midst of everything going on, okay, you may say, I can't, I, I can't be dependent on, like I can't give, okay? I can't give right now. It's not a good time. We should hold on to our money. If you're not giving now, you won't give in the future. What are you truly dependent on? I can't say hi to my neighbor. I, you know, it's, it's weird time right now. We're all wearing masks anyway. If you don't say hi to your neighbor now, you're not gonna do it in the future without a mask, okay? So what are you truly dependent on? What do you build your life on? So I encourage you to uh, sit at some point this week, to sit quietly and and ask yourself and ask God to assess your heart and to help you because he wants to give you all of these great things. He wants to give you peace. Would you bow your heads in prayer with me?